sorry, Chukai, uh, the clicker. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, uh, if you've been paying attention, uh, this scripture, scripture passage was read very recently, right? How, ma how many of you find that, oh, sounds very familiar, Okay, that's how many of us were in church very recently. Um, this, this was the exact same scripture passage that was read to us on the Sunday morning of New Year's Eve. Uh, so, Brother Chong Jin was sharing, okay, as we, as we wrapped up the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, as we, we closed our series on the book of Matthew, Brother Chong Jin was preaching on this exact same passage, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Uh, I wasn't here. I was knocked out with COVID. But um, I, I did manage to, to see the notes and uh, have a rough idea of what was shared. And so today, we are looking at the same passage to also close out a series. So that one was closing out the series on Matthew. This is closing out our series on Tracks vision, right? Of what is Tracks vision? To come, follow, become like Jesus. Uh, okay. So we are looking at the last essential. The first essential, say it with me, personal growth. Second essential, building community. Third essential, a voice to the nation. Okay. So we look at the last essential in order to achieve this vision of come, follow, become like Jesus, having a vision for the world. Okay? Knowing Christ and making Him known to the world. And the key verses that this essential draws from are once again from Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Now, when it comes to living in God's kingdom, Christian faith, Christian walk, uh, relationship with God, I have learned that every time there is a coincidence, every time there is a repetition of something that is unplanned, uh, I have learned to, to, to pay special attention, to keep my ears open and to be very alert. Because a lot of times when it comes to these repetitions, it is God trying to call our attention to something. Okay, so this morning I want to challenge you. Instead of switching your brain off and, and thinking, ah, again, ah, this passage again, ah, uh, here already, law, <laughs> nothing to learn, law, no already, right? I want to challenge you to consider that God is bringing this passage to our attention once again for a reason. Okay, and it's up to you to discover what that reason is for yourselves. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we trust you are speaking to us and that even as you call our attention to this passage once again, Lord, will you show us, will you tell us what you are saying? And so may the attitude of our hearts and the words of my mouth be found pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. I have a dream. How many of you know who made those words popular? Uh, who is it? Uh, Ebba, right? I have a dream. No, no. Uh, I'm talking, yes, yeah, I, I heard, lah, correct? I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he is the... American pastor and civil rights activist. Uh, for those who get confused with Martin Luther, the German reformer, that one very old, old one. Okay, so this is the newer one. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And so he gave this speech, I Have a Dream. He was assassinated five years after he gave that speech. And I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole um, preparing because his life is just so interesting. Did you know that he died at the age of uh, yeah, that's, that's roughly, <laughs> that's how old I am this year. 
Uh, <laughs> oh no, I just I just revealed my age. Um, yeah, and but when he died at 39, they after the autopsy, they discovered that the the age of his heart was estimated to be the heart of a 60 year old. Uh, that's that's how much stress he was under in the work that he did. Okay, but uh, anyway, he he gave this speech. Uh, I have a dream. And in that speech, he spoke of this dream that he had for his nation, America. Okay, and this dream was basically a vision, something that he could see in the future. And it was a vision that America would be a nation where there would be integration and harmony of races. So at that time, for those of you who don't know the history, uh, there was no longer slavery okay, of African-Americans. Slavery was illegal, but there was a lot of segregation. Okay, so the uh, blacks, whites went to different schools, uh, did things totally differently. Uh, they never mixed together. Okay? And so he had this dream, this vision, that one day America would become integrated, there'll be harmony. Over 60 years later, that vision has been realized partially, not completely. We know there's still a lot of uh, racism, right? Now, why am I sharing this? The fourth essential that we're looking at today is having a vision for the world. And so what is our vision? What is our dream? With fullest respect to Martin Luther King Jr. and his legacy, I think our dream is a greater dream. It is a dream not just for one nation, but for all nations. And it's a legacy that doesn't just last for 60 years or 100 years or even 1,000 years. Its impact will be felt for all eternity. And so our dream and our vision for this world is for all nations to have people who have become disciples of Jesus. And that dream, that vision, I think, is far greater than any human dream. And so this is not just a vision for track. This is not just a vision for church leaders. This is a vision that all Christians share. So this is a dream that we should all be having. And so that's the big idea for today. Very simply, all Christians are called to make disciples of Jesus. This is our takeaway. That not just some people, not just church leaders, not just the hyper-spiritual, not just the people who uh, got nothing better to do, a lot of free time. <laughs> All Christians are called to make disciples of Jesus. Turn to someone next to you and tell them, God is calling you to make disciples for Jesus. Very good. Now turn to the other person next to you and tell them, God is calling me to make disciples of Jesus. <laughs> I didn't see as much cooperation in the second one. Huh? Now today we will be looking at three questions. Uh, there, there were all sorts of directions to take this passage in, uh, this, this message in based on this passage. Uh, but I think we know it's important. Right? We know that the, the, the call, the mission, the task of making disciples is super important. And so the direction I wanted to take today was a little slightly more practical. Okay, So three questions that we're going to cover today. Firstly, what is the mission? Okay, So we understand what is the mission. Second, what are the methods? How do we go about it? Thirdly, what are our motives? Okay, Why are we on this mission and pursuing it, okay? So very easy to remember, uh, three M's, uh, uh, three M, the, the tape. Uh, and so after our worship service, you can add one more M. Can you guess why it is? Multiply. Uh, so you put into practice what you hear, you multiply the number of disciples in this church. I bet some of you thought I was going to say McDonald's, right? <laughs> You want to go to McDonald's later and multiply it also can. Okay, let's look at the first M. Let's clarify what the mission is. 
I know Brother Chongjin touched on this a month ago, but I want to emphasize as well that the mission that we have from Jesus as Christians is primarily to make disciples of all nations. Okay? And that, disciple, uh, that, that mission of disciple-making involves going, involves baptizing, involves teaching. But the primary mission is making disciples of all nations. So let's break this down. Jesus gives his mission to his disciples. Okay? Uh, he, he told them, if you remember from the previous last year, uh, he told them, okay, you go here, I'll meet you there in Galilee, and then he appears to them, and then he says this. Lah, okay? So he, he gives this mission to his disciples. These are people who have followed him. These are people who have lived with him, ate with him, uh, slept next to him, uh, watched everything that he did, had a very personal relationship with him for three years. And so when he tells them to make disciples, he's telling them to go and make other people who will also go through what they went through. That people would follow him and have a personal relationship with him. Now this is important because sometimes we make all sorts of assumptions as to how to obey the Great Commission. You know, uh, go make disciples. Oh, okay, law. Uh, I go and bring people to church, law. I go and tell people Jesus loves you, law. Right? But it's not just go and bring people to church. It's not just go and get people to join a Christian activity. The objective of the command is not a location. It's not here. The objective of the command is not an action doing some sort of Christian thing. The objective of this command to make disciples is an identity. It is a person. It is a follower of Jesus. Accompanied of a state of being in a personal relationship with Him. And so that is the objective of this command. Go you may bring people to church, you may bring them to a Christian activity, but ultimately the objective is make disciples. Of course, sometimes those things are necessary, like bringing someone to, to church for Sunday worship or getting your child to join a Bible camp. You know, that's part of the process of bringing them to follow Jesus. But we need to be careful that we are not satisfied, we don't lose sight of the mission. The mission is to make a follower of Jesus who has a personal relationship with him. That's the definition of a disciple. Okay? Now, what if someone says, yes, I want to follow Jesus and have a personal relationship with him, and then you lead them in the sinner's prayer? Is that it? Mission accomplished? I will argue no, because the mission is not to make converts, but disciples of Jesus. People who don't just say, okay, I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus for that one time. But people who continue to follow Jesus and grow into spiritual maturity. So the mission to make disciples continues even after conversion. If you notice the verses, the, the pattern, right? It continues into baptism, which is an outward public declaration of faith of what has happened inside uh, it continues into so baptism also brings them into the church uh, and it continues into teaching whatever Jesus taught okay so you can call it following up you can call it mentoring but believers are called to keep growing in their faith and God uses us to be part of that continuing process but one particular milestone that I want to highlight, I want to, to uh, bring to our attention in, in this mission of making disciples, one milestone is when the person that we, we have uh, shared Christ with is now able to go and make disciples of their own. That is a major, major milestone that we need to be aiming at. There's an observation of a historical trend in the world of technology known as Moore's Law. How many of you have heard of Moore's Law? 
okay. If you're in the semicon industry, you're probably you know, familiar with it. Basically, Moore's law states that the number of transistors in a microchip doubles roughly every two years. Okay, apani uh, transistor. What that roughly means is that computing power grows at an exponential rate. That a computer is like twice as powerful every two years, something like that, okay? And so, this is how we go from the first computer with transistors, which is about 92 transistors. A transistor is something that switches on and off signals, okay? And that's how you get information uh, processing. So, the first computer with about 92 transistors in 1953, it's how we go from there to the M2 Ultra chip in the Mac Pro, which is about 134 billion transistors in 2023. And then this year, sure got more, lah, okay? So, 19, uh, apa? 1953. 1953, 92 transistors. 2023. 150, uh, 134 billion transistors. That is about 1.5 billion times the computing power in just 70 years. I know not exactly, okay, but roughly just to, to help us to understand. That is the power of exponential growth. And it's a concept that you know, finance investors are also very familiar with. And this concept, this principle of exponential growth is Jesus' strategy for making disciples. Exponential growth. Because each disciple is commanded to make other disciples. So that is a milestone I want to challenge us to pursue. Not just bring people to church, not just do some Christian activity, not even just bring them to faith, but to make disciples who make other disciples. So let's be clear on the mission. Let's not be satisfied with numbers. You know, if we just see, wow, I've got a lot of people in church. Let's not just be, sati uh, be, be satisfied with Christian activity. Oh, so much things going on in church. Our church focus and vision is to nurture disciples to be a spirit-filled, impactful church. And so the mission is there. Nurturing these disciples who have a personal relationship with Jesus and so are filled with the Spirit and they are impacting the world, impacting others by making other disciples. And so I want to challenge you Aim for at least that milestone that we make disciples who make other disciples. Let's move on. So that's the first M, the mission. Let's move on to the second M. What are the methods? Let's look at the methods. How do you make disciples? Now, there are a few important things involved in the task of disciple making. Uh, I'm not going to look at all of them, but just to, to highlight a few. Firstly, at the very foundation of making disciples is presenting the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. For some of us, this is the most uncomfortable, even the most difficult part about disciple making. Opening the mouth, talking about what Jesus has done on the cross to somebody who doesn't know it, okay? Sometimes this is just the most difficult thing in the world for us. And some of us might say, Pastor, that's not my thing. I make disciples another way. I volunteer with the poor. I give money to missions work. I let my, my life speak for itself. You know, I, 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 not, not my thing to go and tell people about the gospel and all that. Now, in response to, uh, to, to respond to that, let's do a little thought exercise. Imagine that you are visiting a friend who moved to Ipoh a few years ago. 
Okay, so uh, Penang people are very happy in Penang, right? They don't like to uh, simply go go anywhere. So this is your first time out of Penang, uh, okay? And you want to visit this very close friend who moved to Ipoh a few years ago. So it's your first time in Ipoh. And you use the highway, you follow all the giant signs that say, Ipoh, Ipoh! You know, near Ipoh got all those huge, huge signs because too many people miss the turning. Eh? So you follow all these signs, you, you end up in Ipoh. Okay, yeah, Ipoh, after the toll, you stop at the petrol station, you call your friend. And they're so glad to hear from you. Oh, you're in Ipoh already? Ah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so excited to host you at my home. I, I want to, to invite you and make an amazing dinner for you. I prepared the guest bedroom for you. Uh, it's so great. I cannot wait to meet you at my house. And then they hang up. They don't tell you where to go. <laughs> they don't tell you how to get there. They don't give you any address, no location pin, no directions, no map, nothing. Oh. You have no idea how to get to where they are, right? Uh, what if, now, what if you call them back and you ask them, where do I go? <laughs> right? How do I get there? And then they respond, oh, I don't know. Lah. You, you talk to the postman, he knows the way very well. <laughs> Cannot, right? If you want somebody to get somewhere, you need to tell them how to get there. And so that's what sharing the gospel is like when it comes to making disciples. The gospel shows the way. It tells them where they are, that they're sinners who have been separated from God, headed towards eternal death called hell. The gospel tells them where they need to go, that they need to be reconciled with God uh, and experience forgiveness of all their sins, gain the promise of eternal life called heaven. And the gospel tells them how to get from where they are to where they need to go. Turning away from their sins, believing in Jesus, following him as the only Lord of their life. So we need to know how to give directions to Jesus. Which means equipping ourselves to know how to present the gospel well. Just like if we're giving directions to someone... We, we don't just uh, take them all around the world to, to finally uh, uh, and try and tell them about all the obscure landmarks they won't be able to find, right? We prepare, we draw a good map, we try to give good directions. And so we also, in sharing the gospel, in making disciples, we need to give clear directions on how to get people to Jesus. And we should not outsource this. Would your friend be comfortable asking a postman how to get to your house? No, right? They're not going to go out to a random postman and go, Bang, nak pergi alamat sini, bagaimana? Totally uncomfortable, right? It, it, it makes sense to ask the of the house, right? And so we should equip ourselves to be able to present the gospel message ourselves. Not just go and talk to the pastor, go and talk to the small group leader, go and talk to my friend. Now, don't get me wrong, eh? sharing the, the gospel is a wonderful opportunity and a privilege for me, your small group leader, your friend. Uh, but if your friend has a closer relationship with you, they are going to have a lot more interest in what you have to say than somebody they don't know. And so this is why it's so important for parents to make disciples of their children and not outsource it to church school teachers or youth counsellors. Because if your message is consistent with what they see and what they experience at home, it will be a far more convincing message than somebody they only see once a week. So what are some ways of presenting the gospel? I want to give us some very practical ways. Uh, there are many ways. Here are some popular ones. Okay? I'll briefly describe each one. You can snap a photo first and investigate later. You go back and search on Google or YouTube or whatever, whichever one you want to try learning. 
There is the four spiritual laws. This is a quick one, uh, a very quick, basically you memorize four realities, four laws, four points, four main points about the gospel and you. You memorize those and then you try to elaborate on them. Uh, there is the bridge to life illustration. This is a four-step illustration where you draw on a piece of paper to illustrate how men and God are separated and then Jesus bridges the gap. Okay? So you, it's good like you meet somebody in a restaurant, got paper napkin there, you can just quickly illustrate. There is the gospel one, two, three, four method. I learned this from um, my assistant pastor in the Chinese congregation in JB. Uh, basically, it uses numbers to help us to remember points to explain. Hey, that there's one God, uh, there's two problems that mankind has, three things that Jesus did, four ways to respond. Okay? There is also evangelism explosion, EE or XEE, which is Evangelism Explosion for Generation X. Uh, it is a more long-form method of presenting the gospel where you go through a course to be trained. And this one is a, a series of questions and stories that are shared over several conversations. So it's not meant to be one, one piece given to you and that's it. Uh, it's meant to be... You interact in continued conversations with people that you meet again. Okay, so there are many, many more methods of presenting the gospel. But whichever one you like, whichever one you prefer, whatever works for you, pick one, learn it well. If you say your memory is very bad, don't allow that to be an excuse. You, you can keep the steps uh, of the method written down somewhere, keep it in your handbag, uh, save it as a favorite note on your phone, keep revisiting it and revising it. We are mostly Asians here, right? In fact, I think we're all Asians here. We all consider studying so important, right? We, we fight with our kids about studying, right? Well, the gospel message has the power to save souls, for eternity. I think that's a lot more important than any exam. Lah. Okay? So, the point is, be prepared to share the gospel so that you don't miss any opportunities because you weren't prepared. Okay? So, be prepared. Be equipped. At least one way of presenting the gospel, equip yourself. So, be equipped. Now, sometimes we need to be equipped in more than just presenting the gospel. Everyone take photo already, right? I'm going to change slide already. Uh, okay. Sometimes we need to be prepared to give your testimony. How you came to faith in Christ is a very, very powerful tool to have on hand. Uh, and it's also something we need to prepare in advance because if you just start telling people your life story, you can end up rambling on, especially your life very long, huh? Yeah, I'm just rambling on and people don't know what, you're, what point you're trying to make. They tune out. Right? So it's important that we prepare our testimony of how we came to faith in Christ. We share uh, what we were like before we followed Christ. How did we encounter Him? And what is our like after? A lot of times, that is a lot more convincing than anything else we can say. So be equipped in your personal testimony. We may also need to be equipped to answer questions that are thrown our way. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 uh, says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Lah. So, be equipped in answering questions. Some examples... Uh, a friend may one day ask you, why do you believe in three gods? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Why do you believe in three gods? Or, uh, why do you have so many different Bibles? This V, that V, right? Uh, or, does God save people of other religions? Uh, or, why, does, uh, why, why do some Bible stories seem to resemble uh, ancient Mesopotamian legends so closely? You know, those kind of questions. 
if you know your friend is curious about those things, then being equipped to answer them can lead to an opportunity to share the gospel. Or maybe at least dismantle, remove some barriers that they have in the way of their faith. And so you can equip yourself by reading books on subjects like Christian apologetics or, or uh, world religions or reading articles from gotquestions.org. I know most of us are, a lot of us are familiar with that website. Uh, or maybe even enrolling part-time in a theological seminary, right? Another great way of being equipped is through lay preacher's license, LPL. I'm the track LPL registrar, so I need to do a bit of, uh, a bit of advertisement. Huh? LPL, lay preacher's license, is not just for those who want to preach. Okay? It is meant to equip the lay people, which is you, in our track churches, in all sorts of biblical and Christian knowledge and skills. And you don't need to take credit and worry about pass or fail or whatever. You can also just audit the class to learn. This year, almost all the LPL classes, as you can see, uh, those are dates and subjects and facilitators. Uh, uh, almost all the LPL classes are held in Saramban. Wow, so far away. But you, you can think of it as a road trip, lah, right? You go get, get a bunch together, maybe in your small group, go together. Uh, go get equipped together, go enjoy Saramban Siu Pao together. Uh, and this can also be the one thing that you commit to do to work on the essential of personal growth this year. Uh, two in one. Okay, so let me know if you are interested. Uh, I really want to see more from our church registering for LPL. Uh, LPL registrar, you know, so many years, nobody, you know. So, yeah. Let me know. Now, on top of presenting the gospel message, one very, very important part about making disciples is not just what we say, but also what we do, right? Being a credible witness for Christ. In a court case, witnesses are called to testify about the truth, to give their account of what happened, what they saw happen. And if the witnesses are discovered to be lying or faking their testimony, pretending, it immediately discredits their character and it makes a mess of whatever case their testimony is supposed to support. Uh, all, all the lawyers, legal people agree, right? Once the witness is discredited, oh, even, even if you go by technicalities, it, it's a huge blow to the case. And so this is why it's so heartbreaking to hear from people about how they are not interested in Christianity, not because they have a problem with Christ, but because they have a problem with Christians when they have had a bad experience of seeing a Christian live or behave a certain way that is not consistent with what Jesus teaches or how Jesus lived. Now, of course, we're called to make disciples of Christ. People are supposed to follow Jesus, not us. But we cannot escape the fact that we are ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 tells us, we are Christ's ambassadors. We, you know what ambassadors are, right? They represent yeah, country in a foreign place. This world is not our home. Our home is in heaven with God. And so we represent God's kingdom to this world. As long as we follow Christ, we represent Christ in this world. So if any of you fear sharing the gospel with others because you know your message would not be consistent with how you live, don't just outsource the task to someone else. My challenge to you, become a credible witness. Don't just say, I, uh, I won't be convincing my testimony, not good, somebody else do. No. Become a credible witness. It is never too late to start practicing what you preach or what you want to preach. Okay? Become a credible witness. 
if you need to work on your relationship with God, if you need to make some adjustments in your life to make space for God so you can be a convincing witness, don't put it off any longer. Every day spent procrastinating is another opportunity lost to share the gospel, especially to those closest to you. In the past few days, past few weeks, we've had quite a few bereavements in our community. We are reminded of the fragility of life. Friends, this life is the only opportunity we have to make disciples. There's no evangelism in the afterlife. Don't miss this opportunity in this life because you procrastinated. Become a credible witness. Let's look at our last M today. What is or what are our motives? We've examined the mission. We've examined the methods. Let's look at our motives. It's important to examine our motives for making disciples because that will affect how seriously we take the mission, how we prepare for it, how we go about it. And so why we do what we do affects how we do what we do, right? So why do we make disciples? The first reason is simple and probably the one that you hear most often. It is a command, right? Go, make disciples. It's not a suggestion. Maybe you go. It's not an optional task or a side quest for Christians who want to take their, their faith more seriously. Uh, you level up already, uh, then you go. Uh, okay? It is a command for all Christians. As long as you follow Christ, you identify as a Christian, it's a command. But why do we obey this command? We don't obey it in order to avoid punishment. Sometimes, you know, as, as kids, we, we grow up obeying things because we fear punishment, don't want a gunna, uh, scolding, don't want a gunna, whacking or whatever, right? And so we obey. Then our obedience is like very reluctant, uh, very like, uh, just go through the motions. But we don't obey this command because we are trying to avoid punishment. That's not the new covenant that we come under. Instead, we obey this command because we believe it's a good command to obey. And so what I'm talking about is conviction. That we share the good news and we make disciples because we actually believe it is good news and that being a disciple of Jesus is a good thing that we want to share, that we need to share. And as we've experienced the benefits of having a relationship with God, not just salvation from our sins, but also peace, security in our identity, finding meaning and purpose in life, having no fear of what to expect after death, these are just some of the many, many benefits of following Jesus. We want others to experience them too. And when we lack conviction because we have not been tending, we have not been working on our spiritual health. It also affects the mission. It affects our message. You know those people trying to sign people up for credit cards in the mall, right? Those promoters. How many of you will purposely change direction when you see them in your path? Uh, confession time, huh? Uh, I, me too, la, me too, okay? Because <laughs> uh, even if you want to reject, suck a lot of time, right? And so those who kena tangkap, especially the soft-hearted people, uh, uh, you kena tangkap by a credit card salesperson, you know, right, a lot of them, they don't, they're, they're, <laughs> their approach is not always very sincere. They're, they're not always very excited about the product and trying to sell you on the product. They tell you, hey, you sign up, you get free gift. You get e-wallet credit. Uh, or please, la, help, la, just help me meet my quota. You sign up already, you can cancel straight away. Don't need to spend anything on. You sign up, then cancel. Right? 
Now, are you convinced that the credit card they're trying to promote is actually good, actually worth signing up for? No, right? You're not going to trust a sales rep who's just trying to meet their quota. So in the same way, people can sense if we don't really believe or we don't really care about this Jesus that we're trying to share. If our motives are not right, if we lack the conviction, if we're just going through the motions, if we're just doing it to get people off our back, just to get the pastor to stop talking, <laughs> people can sense. The last motive I want to talk about is compassion. Jesus tells the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin to describe how God values and how He seeks those who have been separated from Him. And so, the good news of Jesus is only good news for those who believe in Him. Let me say that again. The good news of Jesus is only good news for those who believe in Him. For those who don't believe in Him and refuse to accept Him, it's not good news. It's bad news because it reveals the truth of the situation that we are all facing and we have all faced at some point or another, being separated from God by our sin, heading towards eternal death. And so if we care about those who remain in that situation of separation from God and eventually eternal death, then we would not want anything to hold us back from sharing the antidote to this poison of sin. The greatest motivator for evangelism is love and compassion. And so that's why we pray for the salvation of our family members a lot more than we do for the grab driver that we only interacted with for 10 minutes. Right? So the question is not, why should I make disciples? But rather, why am I not making disciples? And if that is a question that is relevant to you today, I want to challenge you to think about it carefully. Why am I not making disciples? Think about it carefully. And I want to suggest further that there are two pillars that hold up this question of why am I not making disciples? And the first pillar is a lack of conviction, as I spoke about earlier, right? When we don't really believe what we are trying to share, then that will definitely uh, answer that question, why am I not making disciples? The second pillar is a lack of compassion for those who have yet to know Christ for themselves, that we don't actually, if we really believe, right, that those who do not have Christ are going to be separated from Him for eternity, that we don't care enough to get over the things that hold us back. And so, I want us to consider this question. Why am I not making disciples? And we'll find that if we really, really ask ourselves, the answer is not lack of opportunity, it's not fear, it's not bad memory, or many other reasons we might be thinking of. It's probably one of these two, or both. I want to end with a caveat to this mission of making disciples. While we prepare well and we present the message of the gospel well and we follow up well, we need to be careful that we don't become domineering or overbearing in making disciples. And one of the things that we are, uh, we are terrified of and people are outside the church are also terrified of uh, those Christians who are like those credit card sales promoter, lah, right? Just come and non-stop, non-stop, 
believe in Christ, believe in Christ, believe in Christ, come to my church, come to my church, come to my church, and just become totally obnoxious, right? We need to be careful. Uh, not because we don't want to persist, okay? We do want to persist, but we want to uh, not do it in a way that pushes people away, right? So this is a great fear that many of us have, I know. But I want to uh, uh, clarify that it's not just about being obnoxious. Remember how I said three weeks ago, we are all responsible for our own faith. Right? You cannot hold somebody accountable for your lack of personal growth. You cannot hold the church accountable for your lack of personal growth. You cannot hold uh, your, your family member accountable for your lack of personal growth. So we are all responsible for our own faith. When we stand before God, we have to answer for ourselves, right? Uh, you cannot say this person and that person, you know. So in the same way, we cannot pressure and we cannot force anyone into a decision to follow Christ no matter how concerned you are for their soul. So let's say you are overflowing with conviction, you're overflowing with compassion. You really want your loved one to come to Christ. Cannot force. You have no control. You can influence, uh, you, you, can, you can do all that you can to show them the way, to you know, be a credible witness and all that, but you cannot force them into that decision. We are each held accountable for our own faith and our response to the gospel. And so this doesn't make it any less painful when a loved one rejects the gospel. But it puts things into perspective so we don't fear rejection. They're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. It doesn't... Uh, it puts things into perspective so we don't, we don't dump guilt on ourselves. Ayo, I wasn't able to convince my elderly you know, family member to accept Christ before they passed. And it puts things into perspective so we don't try to use all kinds of tactics out of desperation because we believe that the ball ends with us and we are the ones who need to convert them or else they are lost. And so we respond to the command with conviction and with compassion. But when it comes to the gospel, people need to say yes to God not to us. So I'd like you to know that all Christians are called to make disciples of Jesus. This mission is given to all Christians. Kalau you panggil sendiri Christian, orang Christian, kamu mesti buat ini. Hey, no, 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 no. Not looking for applause. That was not a very good effort. Okay, so, so all Christians are called to make disciples. I'd like you to be a disciple maker with the right motives. Respond to the command with conviction, with compassion. If you lack the conviction, if you lack the compassion, ask God. Work on it. Don't put it off. I'd like you to prepare and do prepare for and present the gospel as a credible witness for Christ. Don't put this off. Don't miss precious opportunities to share the gospel in this life. This is the only life that you get to share the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we confess... that we know a lot of this. And still, our lives don't seem to be bearing fruit. And so, Lord, we confess and we ask for your forgiveness when we have lacked the conviction, when we have lacked the compassion, when we have Turn the blind eye and a deaf ear to those around us who are perishing, often without knowing it. Forgive us, Lord. We pray that wherever we are, no matter how young a Christian we might feel, 
no matter how unsteady and unstable our faith may seem, Lord, would you help us to embrace your call, to answer and say, Yes, Lord, I want to obey. I want to make disciples in whatever way I can, to whomever I can. Lord, would you help us? And so, if we have that desire, and you simply want to say, Yes, Lord, I want to make disciples. Don't know how, don't know who, don't know where or when. Will you just respond to the Lord right now? Would you tell Him, Yes, Lord, I want to obey. Would you help me? Would you use me? I surrender. I surrender all my fears. I surrender all my insecurities. I surrender all my doubts. I surrender all the things that hold me back from obeying your good command. I thank you, Lord, that we don't stand in the way that although you want to use us, although you want to work through us, that your kingdom work doesn't hinge on us. We are not indispensable. But Lord, we want to obey. We want to be part of the very good work that you are doing. Help us, Lord. And so, Lord, in whatever ways that your children before you have been asking you and telling you about their desire to be faithful to your call, I pray that you will help, that you will provide, you will open the doors of opportunity. You will give them the wisdom, the courage, the love. We thank you, Lord, that you are concerned and that you love the world so much more than any of us. Will you give us your heart? Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. While we remain in this attitude of worship, I just want to invite you at this time